Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except sometimes the author stops by. It is a whole new year, and our book selection for January is Olga Dies Dreaming by Sochil Gonzalez. It's about Olga, a wedding planner in Brooklyn. She is super successful. She is great at dealing with super entitled rich people. But she's not really sure how she ended up doing what she's doing. This book kind of has everything. It's got rich people drama and political scandal and corrupt business schemes and a mom on the run who's still somehow super naggy and a super douchey white guy named Dick. So Chiel is here to tell us all about it. So Chiel, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you so much. And I sort of love that summary. (laughs) I was like, I I should, I wasted a year with a bad elevator pitch and I could have been saying that. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I just thought it was like kind of the perfect balance of like salacious, but still substantive. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. I appreciate it. And I, you know what? I just loved, I always love kind of juicy big books. So it was kind of fun to just get the chance to write one. And yeah, yeah. So it was like, I was like, are people going to go with this? And so far, I feel like people are mainly going with it. So it's kind of, there's like, we're going to take a crazy turn, but like a lot of it mainly inspired by real events, real life. So it always, I think maybe that's what grounds it in like letting you go with it. So yeah, you mentioned real events. I mean, a kind of an anchor, I think in the story is Hurricane Maria. Yes. But you mentioned like, I don't know. Olga is born in Brooklyn, as I mentioned. She's raised by her grandparents. She went to an Ivy League college and became a wedding planner. These are all like main plot points in your own life, right? Yes, they totally are. I was raised by both my maternal grandparents and my mom was also, uh, um, uh, both my parents were actually both like activists in the Brown Power Movement in the 70s. So Hmm. there are biographical, emotional biographical roots and some factual roots. And everybody would always tell me that they thought like the gist of my life story was interesting. And I was like, I think it could be more interesting if I'd never gone to therapy. And that was sort of, <laughs> was like the starting point of where I ca- like kind of conceived this character, my like untherapized avatar, if you will. <laughs> That's such a way, funny way of putting it, because there is like, I mean, you can tell she's very brittle, but she's also like a huge badass, you know? Yeah, she's definitely tough. And she knows how to stand up for herself. I think she just has some very, very screwy coping mechanisms when we meet her. And (laughs) then you're like, that's not healthy. Mm. And honestly, like sometimes I would like you, like when you're writing, uh, especially a novel that's, that's, long you get to this point and you're like at this crossroads what would Olga do and you're like what would my worst self do and like that That sounds extremely cathartic it was so cathartic it was so cathartic and it was like also you know I think um I have so many emotional feelings about gentrification that I think I'm not able to always talk about because most Mm. of the people that I know 
I'm gentrified. That's how I know them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're like, it was also really cathartic to sort of have a space to talk about the emotional feeling of kind of losing your home from underneath Mm -hmm. your feet, even while you're still there. Um, And this idea of like, this concept of like, she's a person that sort of gentrified herself, right? Like to try and, and and move forward. And like, what were the, what was lost and what was, what still remains, I think is like sort of part of the, the crux of her journey in the book. Well, and yeah, I mean, you talk about like the whole wedding planning thing is so like, I mean, obviously it involves being really scrappy and super well organized and managing a lot of moving pieces, but it's also making, you know, at least largely for what Olga's doing, like making rich white people look as good as possible and like accommodating their every absurd whim. Yeah. And I think also it like makes you a bit of, despite her not being therapist, it makes you a bit of an amateur psychiatrist or psychologist because you're like, this is not about the favors at all. It's because like, literally, like there's um, was a line that got scrapped, but it's like, I'm sorry that your son-in-law called her a fat princess on her wedding day. <laughs> that doesn't mean that the wedding was bad. You know, <laughs> it's like, which, you know, like some of these are like very law and order and it's like scenes ripped from the headlines of my own experiences. But um, what's also just interesting, wedding planning is generally um, sort of like a, I guess what people think of as like a more high, high level of this, but it's still a service job. It's a luxury service job. And right. just these moments when you realize, um, as I'm sure so many people during COVID did, that, oh my God, my life is centered around serving the lives of other people. And I'm losing some of like, what is my life about? You know, Mm -hmm. like, and I think, um, I think that that is a country a lot of people are reckoning with, right? Like, and I think that's a little bit of what her personal journey is like, where it's like, you know, there's one segment where she goes home for the day, like to her home being like where she grew up. And, um, she realizes she hadn't been there in so long because all of her weekends had been taken up by these monumental moments in her clients' lives. And she had not experienced her own life and like for a season, you know, really like the whole of the summer. And, um, and that was like, a, you know, I think um, to me, I feel like there are a lot of people were in such a, a culture of work that um, yeah. we lose so much of our lives sometimes and don't even realize it or have the moment to stop and think. Well, yeah, it seems like that's a lot of what Olga's wrestling with, especially as like she's making money, you know, like she is succeeding in like very specific definitions of what success looks like in America. Right. But then it's sort of like, but at what cost is she doing that? Yeah. And I think that was one of the roles that I wanted her family to play, um, which, you know, I, I think a lot of families are like this, but certainly in Latino families, definitely just I think it generally in big ethnic families, like it's like, okay, that's awesome that you made all that money last year, but you weren't at Gilo's graduation party. <laughs> and it's like, like, so I don't care. <laughs> you know, like, so I think like I, one of the points of Mabel, her cousin, yeah, her cousin, I, you know, I wanted Mabel to exist because I wanted to show a version of a person who totally has a great job, like a great life, like, but that like is con- like very content. Like, and you know, she loves being around her family and you know? like she doesn't feel tormented by the same, like if only there was more that Olga feels tormented by. And, and I, I don't know, like whether I, I, people will come to their own conclusions about what that means, but I definitely had some thoughts just that there's more than one way to skin a happiness cat, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's just thinking about the poor skinned alive happiness cat now. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. 
So there was one scene in particular that really stuck out to me that I wanted to ask you about because I thought it was fascinating. And it's so Olga's at a political fundraiser with her brother, who's Mm -hmm. a congressman, Prieto. Mm -hmm. And she's watching him move through the room and he's able to talk to all these different kinds of people. Yeah. And and she thinks about how what she does isn't exactly code switching. Yeah. And that it's actually like much more nuanced than that. And the way it's described is that like he's speaking a bunch of languages at the same time. Yep. yep. I thought that was just such a fascinating description. Can you explain it a little more? Yeah, I actually like was so um, I was inspired by him by a, a friend of mine from college who um, does like runs a very high level nonprofit organization and um, Mm -hmm. that he has to deal a lot with government agencies and wealthy donors. And, and I remember just watching him work a room one day and just realizing that we did two different things. Again, like when I say my untherapized avatar, like I sort of go into spaces and this is speaking super frankly, and it's like, you're going to do white New England today. And it's like, you know, like, it's like, you can be Brooklyn today. Like, you know, like you can relax, be yourself. And it's like, you, I sort of, I'm always sort of feeling the need to make a choice of how you're, I'm going to present and how I'm going to communicate. And he just was able to like deliver, but in both cases, I think both Olga and Prieto are are performing. It's just that they are, um, you know, their 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 performance sphere is a little different. And I think it's interesting. It's just something I'd also just been thinking about about politicians in general, especially now, where they're like, you know, if you're young and you're decently good looking, like you're you're like a bona fide celebrity, right? Because you're serving so many needs. Like you're checking a box against liberal guilt, like liberal white guilt. Like you're like, you know, you're doing, you know, especially a a politician of color, like you are where people want some of that. They want some of that edge. They want some of that. Like that's part of why they wanted you there. You know, like it's not lost on me that a big part of Brito is he was the caretaker for when their dad is, uh, has a drug issue and um and he's the caretaker for his family and for his sister and then um later he's the protector of his sister and he just sort of becomes and he has his own things that he's sort of he's always having to kind of be um in I don't think he thinks of it as duplicitous I think he thinks of it as like shielding right protecting well, he like he doesn't put himself first in a lot of different ways I think too. that's right and I think that in that sense he's um because of that, he's willing to be what other people he thinks other yes. people need. And that's what yes. I think he's doing in that one scene. Um, and and I think she, on the one hand, like admires it and then also sort of has a, I don't know, like, I don't want to say resent it. I think one of the, it's one of these things where she knows it's it's also his torment. It's his talent and his torment, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful way of putting that. So this book takes place partly around Hurricane Maria hitting Puerto Rico in 2017. And you definitely get to like the literal physical devastation, but yes. also it seems like so much of what this book is about after that, especially is like the relationship between the United States and Puerto yes. Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I guess I was just wondering, like, it seems to me like that conversation really has changed over the last four years. Do you think so too? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, I think it's changed a lot. I also think that, well, I think part of the inspiration for this book was that I, um, in 2016, I was at the, I'd been a volunteer uh, Mujeres for Hillary, and I was at the Javits Center the night that we got the election results. And prior, before the night took its dark, dark, dark turn, I was just sort of chatting with people and was shocked at in this like very liberal engaged, like group of political volunteers and activists that 
so many people had no idea that Puerto Rico is part of the United States. Um, and so mm. what I think it did on the side of the mainland, looking at the island, was it, it, it connected the dots about that in a way that people had maybe like been able to ignore because we're really not taught a lot about it in schools right. and things. And I think it was like, oh my God, this is really like a second class citizenship. But I, I think what like also literally, almost, literally yeah. no, literally you can't vote for president. You don't have no representation in Congress. You pay tariffs on all of your fruits and vegetables. You go to war, you go to yeah. war but you can be drafted into war. You go to war, like you pay, like you pay certain taxes. Like, I mean, it's really, um, it's crazy. And I think what, what the Maria did though on the Island, um, is it really, was, uh, and this gets touched on a little bit in the book, it was a wake-up call that this government isn't really for you. And I think that then in 2019, we saw um, so many uprisings after those, like, sort of, they uncovered these texts that the governor had sent where he was squandering FEMA money and, you know, putting, lining his own pockets with all of these cronies and, like, and people took to the streets in a way that we we then saw here the next summer with George Floyd. So I, I really, I think what it also did was it, um, you know, what, what you were seeing was that um, towns were rebuilding themselves because they couldn't wait anymore. And so um, I think it really, re I don't want to say reignited, it, it just, it reminded people of the reality of the situation. And I think that there's a different, what we saw in 2019 and going forward was a different sense of agency, which is interesting. And then there's so much music and culture and, you know, the fact that like Bad Bunny's one of the number one artist in America right now is like amazing to me, but like, it's also, he was so with his ear to the ground. And so the whole of music and culture right now is very, um, you know, young people there are just very entrenched with finding and claiming power. And I think that that's exciting. And it just happened to be that um, that was sort of tied to what I'd hoped to call attention to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you mentioned the 2016 election. Um, obviously, this book, you know, takes place during the last administration. You I mean, it seems like even now you're pretty intentional about like not using the name of that president. And like he's <laughs> kind of like obliquely referenced in the book, but like you never use his name. How, that was intentional. I oh, assume. that was so intentional because I think what what he thrives on is attention and fame and like the starving of that also was important to me. But also, I think we should not forget that it was our society that put that person in power. And I think yeah. that by not naming it, you don't get to blame one person. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think it's like, I think you get to implicate our whole of society. And somehow, I don't know, I hope the book doesn't come across as terribly cynical. I think it was much more wanting oh, to paint no. a brush with reality. But totally. like, you know, I definitely think, um, you know, the thing, this is sort of a, a side note, but like, you know, I, another way in which we were the same is like, I have had the experience of being like a, like a white passable Latina my entire life and going through an Ivy League school and meeting and having all these wealthy clients. And, and what I had wanted for Olga was also to show how you get to hear, you really do get to hear a lot of what people don't want you to know that they think because they forget you're there. Oh <laughs> and so, yeah. um, you know, and I think some of that is absolutely like the inner thoughts of, um, especially of her kind of ex-boyfriend character. Um, yeah, for sure. Dick. Yes, Dick. Aptly named, aptly named. No mystery yeah. there. Well, the thing about a dick is like his name's Richard. Like yes. he's choosing to be called Dick. Totally. Yeah. More with Sochiel about Olga Dai's dreaming in just a minute. 
Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So on your website, your bio talks about how you turned 40 and got scared of never doing the thing you wanted to do, so you did it. I assume that's writing this? Yeah. I mean, it was writing in general and I, um, it was writing in general. I'd always wanted to write my best friend from my two best friends from high school. They were like, of course you're going to write. You've literally been writing stories since high school, but I just kind of got intimidated out of it. Like I got to college and my college roommate had gone to Breadloaf and she had won the 17 magazine fiction writers contest. And I think like at that age, you're like, well, I guess that's your lane. So I should find my own lane. And Mm. I kind of just like let going from Brooklyn to Brown and just all of it just sort of was overwhelming. And I, I stepped away from it. And I, you know, when I was wedding planning, I had like a blog and I would always do like little things like, but I, I, I sort of, it's like, you know what? My grandmother had just passed away. She was the last of the grandparents of my grandparents that raised me. Um, and I was like, I, I don't know. I just felt suddenly like it was almost like she was whispering in my ear and telling me you can do it. Like you can do it. And she actually was totally in real life would have been like, I don't know. <laughs> so well, there you go. <laughs> like, so I felt your ghost was very supportive and encouraging. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. And so then I went to Breadloaf. The writer's conference at Middlebury. Yeah. I got so much better in 10 days. Like I, I felt myself under like, understanding that it was like an art and a craft that I was like, I'm going to just get my MFA. And I was at the time working. Well, so much was I committed that I sold my stake in my business. I like stepped away. I got a nine to five job because I was like the creative, the energy that I spend chasing down paychecks, like will open up time or like not doing that will open up time to write. And, and I, I just sort of, I got a nine to five job and then I was going to go to get my MFA in the evenings. And my two friends that I made at Breadloaf convinced me to apply to Iowa. And they were both 40-ish writers. Um, One of their books is coming out in the spring, which I'm also so excited about because she also returned to Her name is Clavis Natera and it's called Neruda on the Park. And it's a beautiful book about Washington Heights. It's beautiful. Um, And I I, I just sort of was like, okay, I'll apply to Iowa. And then I got in and- I was terrified because I had like a rent stabilized apartment. I had health insurance. I had all these things. And I was like, mm. you get to go off the hamster wheel of adulting for two years. Cause it's a fully funded program. <laughs> and like, I was lucky, like I was divorced, but I didn't have kids. Like I was single and, you know, I was like, I could do it. And one of my friends, like, you know, you make great friends and like, they can be your, your biggest, the wind in your sails. And she said, she was like, it'll take you twice as long if you do it the other way. So just do it. And, um, and I walked in with 200 pages of Olga. And by the end of the first semester, I'd finished it. Oh my God. That's so cool. I love that. It was so cool. And like, and so like, it was a the gamble that paid off. Because here we are today and like we were talking about it. You know, I always think about Esperanza on the house in Mango Street and she wants to leave so badly. And when I was 16, I was like, go Esperanza, go. And then when I was like, (laughs) 30 I was like Esperanza it's fucking hard out there like I don't know if you should leave Bango Street (laughs) and I just wanted to write 
for all of the other girls that were like, what happened to Esperanza? And it was hard when I left my Mango Street. And like, to me, that was what I wanted Olga to be. And, um, and I'm just so, I'm so pleased it's connecting with people outside of that experience. But, um, but I know that that my intention was to sort of really um, write something to celebrate all those women that had no model and like walked down streets yeah. that they didn't know what was going to be at the end of it. Mm. So, and like people really are responding. I mean, this is going to be a Hulu show. Yeah, that is amazing. I mean, well, we, we just did the, <laughs> we just shot the pilot. And so actually, oh, awesome. maybe by the time the series, I'll know what's happening. But like, I mean, Hulu has been awesome in that they didn't want to shy away from the politics or anything. And I mean, our cast is amazing. Our cast is unbelievable. And, um, and you are writing it, right? I wrote it and I'm an executive producer with Alfonso Gomez Urajon, who um, did me and Earl and the Dying Girl um, and the current war. war. Um, and so, you know, he's just so talented and um, it's it's so beautiful. And, you know, we just really, um, it's a fun way to tell I wanted to do series because I felt like it's a big book and I didn't want yeah. to rush, like meeting yeah. some of these characters, but it's, it's also, um, it's cool to kind of get the nuance and see what the actors bring to the table. And, um, and it, it's, it's the book. What's beautiful about that is the book lives always as this beautiful piece of art between two covers. And then this is kind of this other collaborative thing that I think yeah. you, sometimes you have to I not even veer that far, but sometimes you have to go in slightly different directions just to preserve the actual larger picture. And um, yeah. and it was amazing. We were shooting on my 44th birthday in oh. Sunset Park across the street from the school where my grandfather was a janitor and my grandmother was a lunch lady. Oh and God. it was the most amazing thing. And they wheeled out like, you know, one of those like white covered like cream cakes with a bride and groom yeah. out on top. And yeah, yeah we just had... Um, we had a beautiful, beautiful time. And it was, and you know, we had this one scene and it was Aubrey Plaza and Jessica Pimentel who plays Mabel. Aubrey plays Olga and uh, Daphne Rubin Vega who plays Thea Lola and a couple of other women. Oh, Melissa Dupree who plays Sarita who barely is a character in the book but then she's really got a presence on the show. Oh, cool. And these other two, one Afro-Latina, one white Latina. And we were shooting this scene and everybody was like in tears by the end because they'd not had the experience really to be around other Latinas who all had like great jobs, like who had like some success that owned a home. And it was just like, Jessica was like, I was in jail the last time I was with this many Latina actresses because she was in <laughs> orange for eight years. So, you know, like, like it was oh like God, just really, beautiful. really beautiful. Um, and I, I felt I felt so moved by that. Um, as I feel moved by these conversations, it's like, mm. it's, it's so strange because like this is all... I don't know, like the crazy way that my brain kind of works. And I'm like, I can't believe people are getting it. <laughs> it's a cool brain, so chill. It's thanks, awesome. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> oh, so chill. Thank you so much for talking with me about Olga. This was so much fun. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me on and for being such a fan of the book. I really appreciate it. So Jill Gonzalez, isn't she a delight? Her book is called Olga Dies Dreaming. I think you're going to like it a lot. Read it and then let us know what you think. You can send a little voice memo over to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. And then, of course, tune in to the discussion that will be on the last Tuesday of the month. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you on Friday.
Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.